Welcome to our messages online. At WCC, we are in a season of purpose, and so far we've been learning what it means to be a worshiper of God, and what does it mean to be a part of His family, the church. Today, Pastor Cyrus is in Ephesians chapter 4, and we learn about growing in Christ-likeness. Welcome to Willamette Community Church. I'm Cyrus, and it is my pleasure to be up here preaching this morning. And we are continuing our season of purpose. And we have looked at, all, at a two purposes for life. We're going to look at a third today. And for an introduction, I would like you, if you would, to pay attention to a little video that will, I think, set the stage for the rest of this message. Please watch. How do we grow? By strength or resolve? Can we make it so? Can we shape the course of our lives according to our purpose and designs? Or add a single hour to the measure of our time? How can we ever venture into what is unknown when we are incapable of the smallest change on our own? Looking back over the span of our lives, we can see the marks that testify to how far we've come, how much we've grown, how much of His grace we have been shown. The marks of maturity on our lives, the evidence of the work of Christ, the seed that He has planted in our heart. The Lord has also watered and will refine every part. It is his intention to give it growth. Until it comes to fruition, he has sealed it with his oath that he who began this good work in you will see it through. In this lies our hope, not in what we do. But we do not grow alone. Our roots are intertwined, one with another so that your strength is mine. While we wait in expectation, no growth can be seen. The tender shoots that so quickly spring up must grow strong, lest they remain frail and green. Would we be overwhelmed by perils in store that his timing seeks to prepare us for? Let us endure our trials with patience for it's in His goodness that we trust and hold fast to our commitment, resting in His faithfulness to us. His goal is for our good. On this our assurance falls, that He who began this good work will surely make it grow tall. like that? Oh, man. Well, that fits because we're talking about growth, and we're going to be looking specifically at a purpose related to growth, but that question, how do we grow? We're going to explore that question today. I love the way that poem started. How do we grow? By strength or resolve, can we make it so? Can we shape the course of our lives according to our purpose and designs? Or add a single hour to the measure of our time? 
How can we ever venture into what is unknown when we are incapable of the smallest change on our own? Man, I love that. As I look at that and I consider these purposes for our lives, I recognize that I can't do it on my own. I recognize that God himself has to be at work within me and within other believers if we are to fulfill the purposes that he has for us. Have you tried to do it on your own? Have you tried to make it work? One of the great things about having kids is, is uh, well, loving them, of course, and seeing them grow. But one of the challenges is trying to explain that you don't always get your way. Right? Well, it feels like the older I get, the more I want things my way. Yet, here we are trying to teach the very thing to our children that you don't get it your way. But as we get older, we seem to think we should. Isn't that funny? Well, let's look at the purposes that we have already discussed in previous weeks. Purpose number one, I was created to worship God. I was created to worship God. The songs that we've been singing, the messages that we've been preaching, we hope that they all lead us to this place of worshiping God, seeing him for who he really is, and giving him the honor that is due, his name, his reputation. This is our purpose. I love the quote Chris read. Someday there will be complete and utter worship of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And on that day, I don't think we'll need missions because everyone will recognize him for who he truly is. Does that make sense? I look forward to being with him in heaven with maybe all of you if you've trusted in Christ and we are all together worshiping him together. I, mm, that will be a sweet day. Purpose number two, I was created to become part of God's family and to belong to his family. This is a fantastic purpose because God has made us for relationship. He has made us to be in a family in fact, I think the family is God's place where he wanted us to originally learn how life really works, right? How you deal with difficulty, how you deal with adversity, how you deal with someone you don't like when they're your mother or a brother or sister or father, right? If you are in a family, then you probably have had struggles within that family, right? But God in his design, I think he showed us that this is how you have to learn to work together, right? And God being great and wise and gracious not only gave us our families, but he then made it possible that Jew and Gentile, no matter where you're from, as long as you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you are part of this family called the body of Christ. You are part of the church, right? Not the church with walls, the church with Christ in our hearts. Here at Willamette Community Church, we do that very thing. We try to reach out and connect with one another. We try to be a family. And the purpose we're going to look at today is purpose three. I was created to become like Christ. I was created to become like 
Christ. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if, you, if you have it on your phone, then tap your way there. Or if you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the pews, in the, in the seats around you. And so, if you had it, page 977, um, we, would, we would be glad if you didn't have a Bible and there's one there in the pew, um, take the Bible, put your name in it, and you can have it and take it home. Okay, We want people to have God's word so they can read it and know um, what God's word says to them. So page 977. There it is, right there. Here you go. All right, let's read. Starting in verse 11. And he... Gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So here you already see God's plan, right? The family of God working together to build up the body of Christ, one another. I need you. You need me. We're a happy family. All right, let's keep reading. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So there's a maturity concept, right? So to become mature, there's some growing that needs to be taken place. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when are we going to know we've reached maturity? Fullness of Christ, wow, that's a, that's a great example and target to aim at. So that we may no longer be children, hmm. tossed to and fro, I love that, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to Grow up in every way into him. You notice that in your worship program. We are to grow up in every way into him, into Christ. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need one another so that we might Function the way God wants us to function. We are to grow up in every way into him. I almost thought about bringing up a skeleton, you know, like asking a doctor or like a science teacher, hey, can I borrow your skeleton for our service today? And then I would have had it right up here. Can you imagine it? It's, it's about uh, six feet tall. And uh, and I would have probably said, hey, look at all these interesting joints and how the body works and how they all work together to make it function. And I would have pointed at like the ankle and I said, I would have said, whose ankle hurts today? And how about the knees? Raise your hand if you have a bad knee. And then hips, all right, back. And I would have, but then I said, oh, wait a minute, that would focus a little too much on our physical bodies, right? And I want to talk about the spiritual bodies. And so I was thinking a little bit about you know, even though we have all of these little joints, each one of them is massively important. Um, have any of you ever stubbed your toe? Any toe stubbers out there? 
Yeah, mm, I'm with you. So uh, this was a while ago now. Uh, I was uh, getting up to go get a, a drink of water, and um, my pinky toe is a very adventurous fellow. And so he decided to jump out to the side and try to wrestle the the corner of the couch as I walked by. Who does that? Pinky toes do that, right? Very brave. And I thought to myself, maybe there's someone here that's part of the body of Christ that's really hurting like a stubbed pinky toe. That could be, right? And if you're a stubbed pinky, if, have you stubbed your pinky toe? Your whole body responds to the pinky toe, right? So you may be here and you might be thinking, I'm new here. I'm insignificant. Oh, no. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of Willamette Community Church. We want to come alongside you. If you're hurting, we will hurt with you. If you are weeping, we will weep with you. And if you rejoice, we will rejoice with you. I've read that somewhere. I think it's in the book of Galatians. But you have to be, like it said, purpose number two, right? You can't just be here. You actually have to belong. You have to, you have to let us know. You have to connect with us, right? Because that's the beauty of being Christ-like. That's the beauty of growing up into the body of Christ because we can't do it on our own. If we are to be Christ-like, we have to do it together. God's plan is amazing, So that kind of begs the question, how can we be like Christ? Well, this is a wonderfully deep and detailed topic. Many books have been written about this. And I could just say, if you want to know how to be like Christ, go read the Gospels and see what Christ was like, right? Um, Then that's a great place to start. Get to know him. You're going to be like him by reading his word, getting to know how Jesus lived. But guess what? I think we can attempt to answer this question, this how do we grow question, this way. We grow from the inside out. We grow from the inside out. And I think you'll see this even as you just consider life in general. Uh, So in our uh, video illustration, there was that part about the seed You remember that? I've got five kids, and the oldest one just entered into middle school. So I've got a sixth grader, a fifth grader, a third grader, a first grader, and a preschooler. Okay? Um, And I know all of their names unless I need to call one of them. Right? But one of the amazing things about kids is that they get to do the coolest experiments, right? And I can count almost... Every year, I will receive at least one or two beans wrapped up in a wet paper towel. Have you seen this? Right? And what does the bean do? It just hangs out, snuggled up with its wet paper towel blanket. And the next thing you know, life emerges from the inside out. It's fantastic. And so as I think about life, I think about pine cones, I think about acorns, and I think about how little they are, but from the inside out comes this incredible strength, these incredible trees that we build homes out of, and giant planes called spruce gooses. 
right? I mean, the wood is incredible. If, if we have any engineers in here, maybe they could talk to us about the incredible physical properties of wood. The strength to weight ratio is just like mind-boggling. And that's just life. It's fantastic. And it grew from a seed. It grew from something so small. Yet transition from this real practical example of seeds to the seed of eternal life. God's word and the gospel coming alive within you and me when we understand that Christ Jesus himself lived that perfect life, died on the cross for the sins of humanity, was buried and rose again, and that everyone who trusts in that is saved by grace through that faith. And then God's life enters you. You are born again. And life begins on the inside out. And that's what we're talking about here today. We grow from the inside out. And that's exactly what we want to see. God has designed us this way. And the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, as they wrote the book of Ephesians, we see that. In fact, the first three chapters, Paul is talking all about who we are. And then in the last three chapters, he talks about how to live it out. So let me show you in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, the importance of this. Ephesians 4. 17 through 24. Paul continues, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Okay, so you can tell already by the language he's using, he's serious about this, right? He, this is, hey, I, I'm going to say it to you, and I'm testifying in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. All those people who don't know the Lord, Don't walk like they do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So let's dig around in that just a little bit. No longer walk as Gentiles do. So do you think he's talking about like how you space your feet apart? That's probably not the walk he's talking about. The walk of your life is a great metaphor for how you organize your life. What's on your to-do list? Do you have a to-do list? Maybe you're not a to-do list person. That's okay. Maybe. Right? It matters how things are going for you. But when it talks about don't walk as the Gentiles do, don't order your life, don't prioritize your days the way they do. Why? Because they don't consider God. All they're considering is their own desires, right? Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Um, Have you ever been darkened in your understanding, like you just didn't get it? Your perspective was not God's perspective? Well, I'll share a quick story. My wife and I 
went on a double date. So this was a long time ago. This was before kids, in fact. And uh, some of our best friends in college, um, we went to the movies. Movie theaters, let me describe it for those of you that have never been. Movie theaters (laughs) get really dark. Uh, right, And so if you walk into the movie theater, it's bright in the hallways, it's dark when you get there, and um, if you try to find seats after they start showing the, you know, the, the coming attractions, um, then it's really hard to see. So the four of us, we wander into the movie theater, we stop. You know, that awkward stop where you're like, it's so dark, I can't see, but I need to find seats, but we have four of us, so I can't really, and you're trying to see and then your eyes begin to adjust, right? And, you know, you're all four right there just, oh, do you see some seats? Yeah, I think I see some seats. Okay, let's go. So, you know, you reach out and you, you hold hands as you, as you find your way in the dark until you realize the, the hand that you're holding is not your wife's. <laughs> it was my, my, and it didn't take long. This one's a little bit colder, a little bit smaller. That's not my wife's hand, right? Well, my understanding was darkened, right? I couldn't see. I didn't realize. I thought I knew what was going on, but my mind was actually woefully outmatched by the darkness around me. We've We've had a good laugh. It was no harm done. It was funny. It may have even been, well, it's definitely more memorable than the movie because I don't even know what movie we ended up seeing. But this is the way it goes, right? We are darkened. The futility of our minds. We don't really always see things from God's point of view. And if that's the case, then we're going to find ourselves getting into circumstances that are no good. Why? Because... The life of God is not informing us because of the hardness of our hearts sometimes. Verse 19, they, those darkened in their understanding, those who don't have the life of God in them, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And this is one of those, this is one of those beautiful notes here, but this is not how you have learned Christ. And what's interesting here is this is not just, this is not how, what you've learned about Jesus. In, in the uh, original here, there's an emphatic little uh, thing that doesn't fit English real well. It's an article, it's the, it's the definite article before Christ. But we would not normally say, but this is not the way you learned the Christ, right? But what it indicates is that it's more than just the person here. It's also those things that are related to what he has done, okay? So you think back of all the things that Paul has explained in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and the implications of that on our lives, that is all wrapped up in who he is. And if you know him, then you would not be living the way those who are darkened in their understanding are living. 
assuming, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So, verse 22, to put off your old self, your, the old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So this is something we need to do. Right? Put off the old man. In verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new man, the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you see the inside out there? Renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see, the problem starts within. And when I am selfish, when I am just worried about my senses, right, sensuality, then I don't think of others. And this is maybe most aptly illustrated by football season. It's true. I really appreciate football. You see, I'm kind of a strategy kind of guy. I love strategic things. I've been known to watch people play chess on the internet. It's true. Kind of a nerd like that. I love strategy. And one of the great things about football is that you've got 11 versus 11. And each play is like a mini chess match. Each side has the same amount of people on the field. And they're trying to figure out what the other side is going to do. And they're trying to reach their goal, right? It's actually a really, despite all the the bashing of heads and the, the, you know, injuries and all that stuff. It's actually a very cerebral game. Yet as I explain the wonder and magnificence of football, my children don't care a bit. And when I say, hey kids, let's watch the football game, they go, no. It'll be, what's this month? September, right? That's pretty much when football gets rolling. So I said, kids, we get to watch football again. And they're like, no, you watch football all the time. I'm like, that is just a lie. Football season just started, right? And then I realize what they're saying is they don't like football. Hmm. So I have to wrestle with this, right? And I, I could like just say, hey, I'm the king of this castle. And... There's going to be football on this screen. Because that's how John Wayne would say it. There's going to be football on the screen. And if you don't like it, then hit the trail. I think (laughs) I could say that, but I wouldn't, right? Because I don't think Jesus would, right? And so I would say, okay, kids, we'll watch for a little while. And then we'll turn it off or we'll watch it something else and I have to think, okay, how am I not going to just be focused on myself? Because ultimately, I realize that who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. And so, if we are allowing ourselves to think without God's perspective, then 
our internal thinking is going to produce poor choices. Who we are really determines what we do. So, that kind of begs the question, who are you? Take a minute to think about that. Based on your choices, based on what you know of yourself, who are you? You might like what you're thinking about. You might not. But I've got some really good news, and that's where the gospel comes in. If you are a Christian here today, if you have trusted in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you've placed your faith into him, then God has said some things that are true about you, even if you don't feel like it. You see, when you start to consider who you are, that might affect your feelings, right? And I don't know how you came in today. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know if you walked in the door sad or, or glad or mad. I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling today. Maybe you had a fight with your wife or with someone else right before you walked in the door. Maybe you were so mad you kicked the dog and you don't even own a dog. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that you here now have the opportunity to consider, to, you can look at life from God's point of view or you can look at it only from your own limited point of view. You see, when I was in the movie theater, my point of view, darkness, right? Literally looking for a hand in the darkness. That's not the way to do it. So I, if I would have had God's point of view, I would have been able to see things the way they really were. I would have been able to know where my wife's hand was, and I would have been able to go off and sit with her, which we did end up sitting next to each other, by the way. We figured it out. So this, this concept, though, is really important because we often go through life and we don't really think about how God sees life. All we see is our point of view, right? And when we look at life only from our point of view, then it's so limited. In fact, it's not always even true. So let's talk about what God says is true. This is who we are in Christ, Take a look. That's a lot of words. Ephesians 1.3. Bless you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, bless you. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Are you in Christ? Have you trusted him as your savior? Then this is true about you. You are spiritually blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't have any spiritual blessings that you don't have and vice versa. Now that doesn't mean we're all enjoying them. That doesn't mean that our minds aren't skewed, right? 
Look at the next one. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God decided that. God decided that everyone in Christ would be seen as holy and blameless before him. Why? Is it because of what you have done? No. But it's because of what Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's because you are part of his body, the body of Christ. Verse 5, you were predestined for adoption. You're part of his family. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is a really interesting phrase. It's the idea of being graced. Usually we talk about grace as a noun, like a thing, but this is used like a verb. You've been graced, you've been blessed, you've been accepted in the beloved. You're accepted, you're blessed. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. You've been bought out of the slave market of sin. You are freed from the debt you owe because he has paid the price for you. How did he do it? Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, of the trespasses, you're forgiven. Verse 11, you're given an inheritance. Verse 13, your Holy Spirit sealed. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How about chapter two? Well, we are loved, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he loves us. And he's demonstrated that love. His character has been seen through his actions. Look at verse six. Even when we were, I'll start in verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. I didn't even put that one up there. Made alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is true, believers, about you. Not because you feel that way, but because God sees you that way because you're in Christ. Shouldn't your feeling reflect reality and not allow your feelings to determine your reality? Do you see the difference? We are so quick to allow our feelings to determine what is real. And sometimes, most of the time, all the time, we need God's word to help us understand the way things really are and then we can adjust our feelings to reality. Because when I think of these things and I realize they're true about you and me as believers, man, it gives me great peace. It gives me great hope. It gives me joy. And that's what I want for you as well. That's the good news. That's the gospel at work within you. 
and me. Verse 10 says, I am his workmanship in the new creation in Christ. Verse 13, we're brought near to God. Have you ever felt like you're far away? I'll say that again. Have you ever felt like you're far away from God? He hasn't changed. Your salvation hasn't changed. It's still in Christ. You're saved by grace through faith. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee until you acquire fully the possession of it someday when you're face to face with him. But you are near him. You can't get nearer, in fact, because you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're reconciled to him. You are at peace with him. And there is so much more. This is just these two chapters. Study the rest of the book. Study Galatians. Study Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's letters. They help us understand what Christ has done. Why? So that we can grow into him. So this is where we have to review our purpose. Let's review where we got started. Purpose number three, I was created to become like Christ. We looked at a lot of different passages, and there are many more that help us, but Ephesians 4.15, we, we are to grow up in every way into him. So, okay, we're trying to wrestle with this question. How do we grow? From the inside out. Okay, so from the inside out. Well, okay, who am I on the inside? Well, I know how I feel, but what is real? Okay, We're wrestling with this. We're looking at God's word. God's word says, this is who you are in Christ, okay? Take a deep breath. So I guess the next question is, well, what does it mean to be Christ-like? If this is who I am, then how do I live it out? What does it mean to be Christ-like? So this is how I would answer that. What does it mean to be Christ-like? It's the character of Christ displayed by our choices and actions. The character of Christ displayed by our choices and actions. So, if you're trying to wrestle with whether or not you've been very Christ-like, the question could easily be posed, are you displaying the character of Christ by your choices and actions? I... uh, Remember, a youth group student had this great T-shirt, and it said, Be the moon, reflect the sun. S-O-N, sun. You get it? You will, eventually. Right? Right? We want to be like a reflector. We want the light of the glory of God to be seen in us. Right? We want to take that light into the darkness. We don't want to be darkened in the futility of our thinking. We don't want to be like those who don't know God. Instead, we want to be those ones that know it and see it and live it out. We want the character of Christ displayed by our choices and actions. How would we know how Christ, what Christ-likeness looks like? Well, go back and read the Gospels. When you see how Jesus lived, it was incredible because he demonstrated what? generosity, kindness, but he also stood up for what was just and right and true, right? Those Pharisees, he came right at them, right? He knew how to make a whip out of cords and drive people out. Please check with us before you do that. Great. Right? But no, my point is that 
Justice was important to him, right? God's holiness, that was important to him. So what will it look like for you and for me? Well, Ephesians 4. One through three. I've got a bunch of these up here. We looked at the inside and now we're kind of looking at the out. Okay? This is, you know, probably, if you're a teacher, if you're a professor, if you're a PowerPoint aficionado, this is like a big no-no, right? Like, Cyrus, you're not supposed to put so much on the screen at one time. I did it on purpose. I wanted you to see that there was an overwhelming truth about who you are in the first two chapters and this. Overwhelming examples of how we are to live it out. So, Ephesians 4. I'll just read, and you can hear them. 4.1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, if my children would only know this. <laughs> and, and I see you in the back. Right? And if moms and dads would only know this, if husbands and wives would only know this, right? if we would only live this, did you hear that, kids? I'm not saying it's just your fault. It's mine, too. I recognize I'm not always humble, and I'm not always gentle. And when I'm not, I'm not displaying the character of Christ. Right? Let's go to verse 13 through 16. We already read this earlier, but I'll read it quickly. You'll see this idea of maturity again, growth, Christ-likeness. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. There's that beautiful unity, that family idea, right? Growing up into mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These are beautiful things that we are to continue to work toward because God is at work in us. No longer like children tossed around because we don't know our Bibles well. That's verse 14. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Doctrine is just another word for teaching, a bunch of truth about God. And if you don't know it well about yourself and about others, then the chances are you're not going to be very stable. You're not going to be stable in your lives. You're not going to be stable in the midst of the circumstances around you. You can read more of that on your own. Go down to 25 Verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of one, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I believe it is possible to be angry. I think we should be angry when there's injustice, when there is, uh, when God is being, God's truth and justice is not being upheld. That should make us upset. Right? How we handle it, though, may not always be God's way. So we have to examine that. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something 
to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may be grace to those who hear. So you see the contrast, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Again, the inside will demonstrate itself on the outside. God's ultimate goal for your life and for mine is not our comfort, although sometimes I live as if it is. Let's carry on reading verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to become like Christ. And that doesn't mean you're losing your personality. No, we need every part of the body to be how God has designed them to be. You and I are different, and that's how God made us, but that doesn't mean we still can't both be Christ-like. There's a difference between unity and uniformity, right? Here in the, tr- in the church, we should truly have university. We should truly have unity among the diversity of people. No matter what our backgrounds are, if we are in Christ, then we can have commonality. We can have communion and fellowship with one another. Christ-likeness is about transforming your character, not necessarily your personality. But sometimes we use personality as an excuse for our character, right? I know I do. Well, I, I just like to goof around and have a good time. In other words, I don't like to clean my room and do my chores, right? I'm, I'm fun-loving. That's why my socks are on the ground. <laughs> I did pick most of them up, dear, except for a couple. All right. But every time you and I forget that God is working in our character, we ultimately forget that our circumstances are not as important as we think they are, right? We seem to let our circumstances be king and not Christ be king, right? And so our circumstances end up dictating how we feel and what we think. And in reality, again, if Christ is our king, if we are looking at things his way, then we see circumstances as an opportunity to become more like him. Does that make sense? Because those circumstances, whether they're horrible or whether they're great, whether they're worthy of weeping or rejoicing, they should transform us to be more like Christ. You and I will wonder, why now? Why me? Why this? Why my son? Why my daughter? Why my wife? Maybe the better question is, is how do I be like Christ in this situation? How do I take that deep breath and let the bitterness go and breathe in kindness and forgiveness and Christ-likeness? Let's end where we started with that poem. 
Would we be overwhelmed by perils in store that his timing seeks to prepare us for? Let us endure our trials with patience, for it's in his goodness that we trust and hold fast to our commitment, resting in his faithfulness to us. His goal is for our good, and this our assurance falls, that he who began this good work will surely make it grow tall. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, not only do you want us to be like Christ, not only do you want us to grow up into his likeness and to represent you by living like him, not only is all of that true, but you have also said that you would help us do it. And for that, God, we are truly eternally grateful You are so good to us. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so, God, I pray that we would continue to seek after you, after your truth, that we might be transformed and renewed in our thinking so that we might see life the way you see it and live it the way Christ would have us live it. Lord God, I pray that we would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you were both encouraged and challenged to pursue God with all your heart in our season of purpose.